0: This is Things Police See, First Hand Accounts, with your host, Steve Gould.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the podcast introduce active and retired police officers about the most intense, bizarre, and sometimes humorous moments on the job. I am, in fact, Steve Gould. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the five-star reviews recently on Apple that they're really rolling in, and I really, really appreciate it in in an attempt to... uh, get you to do do more. If you haven't done one, I'm going to read like four at the beginning of every episode of the reviews that come in. Um, so the last four we have is Caleb Clark. Best podcast on the app. Strong agree with you, Caleb. You have a good and great taste in podcasts. Um, next one is a great podcast. As LEO, I love listening to all the stories and diverse agencies represented. I especially love hearing from the old timers who have so much wisdom humanizes a badge in such a real way. Great podcast. Light Shiner. Agree 100% with you. Uh, Extremely entertaining and enlightening from Logan Vigil. Crazy and entertaining stories that show you what police have to put up with day to day. Not a dull moment. I love this podcast. Well, Logan, I love you. Thank you. Another five star from me and the doodle. Every episode is five stars. I have no police policemen or women in my family, but I have the utmost respect for the men and women who answer the call and put their life on the line every day. Thank you for insight into this world. True heroes. God bless you, me in the doodle. Thank you for that, guys. I love that. I love the reviews. I get excited when I see them come in, and um, it really does help. It might not help the show in rankings or anything, but it does help when people look at the show. uh, They see that we have you know. Over 800 five-star reviews, and it's uh, it's a big deal. A 1,000, um, kind of feel like a 1,000 is the best. If we get to 1K, that's what I'm after. Then I'll back off. I'll take the foot off the gas a little bit with the uh, review requests. Also, if you really love the show, you can, be, you can go to Patreon. The link's in the show notes. Um, join the community. You can be a, a patrolman or a sergeant. It's only if you really love the show and really want to show your support, help keep the lights on over here. I shout out the Patreon sergeants every episode, which I'll be doing after the interview. Um, but if you can't do it or can't afford it right now, not a big deal. The show's going to remain free. The whole point is that um, anybody can have access to it, and I want it to remain that way. So guys, without further ado, our guest is a returning guest from episode number 126. He is—he uh, was uh, very popular, and I think it's his no BS kind of attitude. The guy's ballsy. he um, He put his personal cell phone number up in the show notes of 126 and people have been calling him and, uh, and interacting with, which is awesome. I mean, uh, he said he wanted to do it. And, uh, I said, sure. I wasn't sure. I mean, last, last month there was 36,000 listens. So, um, I'm guessing are mostly fans. I was a little bit worried that someone might, you know, uh, be a jerk to him, but that's, that's not the case. That's not who you guys are. You guys are, are quality listeners. And I, I truly, truly appreciate you. So, um, I have Mr. Corbett's, oh, come on, baby. Where is it? There we go. So uh, a, just a brief intro, because you've already met him once in episode 126. He was a disciplined street cop, former commander of County uh, county Homicide Unit outside of Chicago, Illinois. He founded and runs Corbett Threat Assessment and Consultants, also known as CTAC. He is the owner and operator of Corbett Investigations with over 1,000 death investigations, 400 homicide investigations, and 25 cold cases under... His belt, his team of current and former law enforcement professionals prepared to bring justice and truth in the most difficult cases around the U.S. That's a little bit about Mr. Tr- Tim Corbett. Without further ado, let's bring him on. Tim, welcome back, man. Thank you. That was okay. I did okay on the intro. I got a little stumbly there, but you're, there's a lot of pieces about you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been called a lot of things, never a piece. A little so, bit okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, can you explain? We were chatting a little bit before we started the show. Um, so you are you are retired law enforcement, but also under corporate investigations, you are contracted and also given police powers during your working hours. Is that right?
0: No. Um, first off, I, I want everybody to understand. Uh, I consider what I do as an honor and a privilege. Uh, there's been some change in the stats. What you said earlier, uh, we've actually put over 400 people in prison for just murders. We've had a lot more investigations than that. And we're, at, we're up to 32 cold case uh, that we've arrested people, put them in prison. So a very successful unit. Nice. And I say that uh, it's a group effort. It's not Tim Corbett. It's everybody involved. But yeah, what, what's happened? Uh, I had 17 and a half years in as a commander handled over 1100 death cases um, or over a thousand. I'm sorry. Um, And what I've done was start a cold case homicide unit for the Mishawaka Police Department. I went to their chief of police who then went to the mayor and the mayor said, yeah, great, let's do it. We have three additional former police officers retired, myself and a lady named Donna Newcomer, and we handled the cold cases. So cold cases, uh, we considered anything over two years old that has not been solved solved for us is not a hit lick and a promise that we think we know that you might have, could have done this case. We close ours out with, uh, either on a, well, we close it out with an arrest or an answer. And we've had, we've had cases in the past where the perpetrator is dead and we get enough information that if that person was alive, we could still charge them with the offense of murder. Since they're dead, we can't, but we can close the case out because we have that information. So, um, when we go in, uh, these retired officers and myself, we have been sworn in by the by the mayor. We have police powers, but those police powers are limited to the hours that we're there. So if we're there, say, on Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., we have police powers. Uh, anytime before that or after that, we do not. Through my private investigation firm, I've been hired by other families who have not had uh, have not had a resolution to their case. So they come to me and they hire me to investigate the case. And of course that's, that's paid.
1: What is the, what is the, um, the major factor the or the, the thing that would trigger uh, a family to kind of feel like the police isn't enough or like they're not getting, they're not getting the answers they want. Is it that the department's overwhelmed and they're busy or is it just another set of eyes that they want? What's the major factor that makes someone pick up the phone and call you?
0: I think a lot of times it's uh, they're not getting any answers. They call and ask. Well, we're looking into it. We're checking into it. We're we're checking on a cold case now for the the area that we have. uh, When we had County Metro Homicide, which was tore down by the mayor, the chief of police in one particular department, South Bend, and um, the sheriff at that. There, the sheriff. They decided they didn't need County Metro Homicide, which was a very successful unit, eighty to ninety percent solve rate every year. Um, but you know, they're, they're smarter than everybody and they decided they didn't need it. So now, uh, they did not have cold case investigators. So your grandmother was killed is in a box on a shelf. Your cousin right. was killed is on a box. So, um, a lot of people, they got tired of, you know, having sunshine blowing up their pant leg and, um, they would come to me and say, Hey, you used to run the place. Uh, we want you to look into it.
1: And is there, since you're doing that and you're working with, um, for back, lack of a better term, uh, full-time cops, is there, is there, is the relationship good or is there, is it contentious at all? Because they look at you like, oh, this guy's coming from the outside of the department and he's kind of, you know, taking our, doing our big investigations or are they like very grateful to be like, good, we need this, we need the support. Cause you know how uh, cops I, can be.
0: I think it's contagious or contentious rather. Um, you know, look, I, I'll be real honest with you. I'm one of those guys you either like me or you don't like me. There's not a whole lot of gray area. And uh, you know, if I need more friends, I'll get a dog. I'm not concerned about. it. I'm concerned about doing it the right way and getting things done. Um, I'm working a particular case right now that I can't go into a whole lot with uh, or about. And um, sometimes I get kind of shocked at the the way you're you know you get treated. It's like okay, this old dude here, he's hes not a full-time cop. He's not one of us. He doesn't know what's going on. Sure. Uh, you know, I was solving homicide cases when these guys weren't even a bubble in their daddy's balls. So <laughs> what they ought to do is take the information and use it. I don't charge them. I go to them and say, here's what I have. I'll work with you. I'll do whatever you need. You want me out of the way, I'll get out of the way. But uh, being dismissive with um, with the information and the skill, uh I think you're stupid for doing that.
1: Yeah, I would but, be like a barnacle in a whale's ass if you were in our department. I'd want to I'd want to extract anything I could from you, from your experience. Uh, you know, that's how you learn.
0: Look, there's no policeman hall of fame, you're not getting trophies, uh any of that kind of stuff. That's for sure. Why would you care when I go to you and go, here's the statements, here's the tapes that go along with it, here's the transcriptions of it. Work it. Do something with it. Um take the credit. I don't, you know, like I said, I'm not looking for trophies and all that. I, this is somebody's family. They got killed. And if you're not working it and I get the information, what's the difference? I used to tell my guys, uh, I don't care if the janitor comes in and says I know who did this and how it happened. Who cares? right? You know, you're winning. You're getting an answer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Is there, Um, and did I, inter- did I hear that right, that you're doing it um, out of the goodness of your heart when you help the police? Like, not the private stuff, but when you do cold cases for the police you're not being paid and compensated
0: no it's all it's all free all all the other officers the three other officers and myself uh combined um you know i just started my 48th year in december wow. we've got probably you know 150 maybe between 150 and 200 years experience so Mishawaka was smart enough to go, man, you guys will go do this for free. The only thing we have to do is, you know, if you go out of town, we pay for your hotel and your food and gas, which is, which is fair. But we don't get a paycheck. We just know that we have the skill, the ability, the drive and determination to work these cases. Uh, uh, we were only there for three months and solved the 42-year-old unsolved case.
1: 42 years?
0: 42-year-old case.
1: What was that one about?
0: Uh, there was a young girl named Shelly Werner, 16 years old, went to a store to uh, pick up some items, and she disappeared. And, you know, people thought that it was, you know, the boogeyman that did it, some unknown person. In fact, it ended up being uh, three people that she knew. They killed her. All three of the all three of the perpetrators are dead. Two of them uh, had a very horrific cancer-filled death. Good. I hope they suffered. Good. <laughs> right. Because uh, you know they took this little girl out and, and they killed her, and uh, for forty two years the family didn't have an answer, and we came along and we were able to go back and talk to people and actually talk to a girl that had the entire story and I'm one um, when you when you have this, you run with it. you don't wait till tomorrow, you don't you know I'm tired, I'm gonna go home, you get it and here's a perfect example of it. the girl that we talked to that gave us the information. About a month and a half there after she gave us the information that solidified the case, she died of cancer. Now, if we'd have waited and said, "Well, maybe if we do this, we should talk to this. Maybe we ought to do that," it's too late in the day. Blah blah blah. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. We'd have never got that information. That family would have never known the answers, or had a very small chance of getting the answers.
1: Yeah, but I can say I can imagine it's it's probably easy for someone who's full time copper, say he's a homicide investigator. He's got a bunch of cases he's checking boxes on. It's probably easy to slip into the, like, triaging cases, and I can do that follow-up later. And before you know the cases are getting stale, like, it's probably pretty easy to have that mindset. I I imagine when you're dealing with high-level crimes like that, you really have to have um, – you really have to be motivated. and You have to really remember the goal and the victims, you know?
0: Well, how how do I look you in the face and go, I know your your mom got murdered, but, uh, you know – I'm a warrior, the thin blue line. I got those tattoos and I've got all that. But when it comes time to do what you're supposed to do, you don't have the nuts to do it or the wherewithal or the, or the um, you know, the push the drive to be able to go find the answers. I, you know, we had one uh, lady, that case was 30, I think 30 years old, killed. We found out who did it. Uh, I went back to the office and go home, pack your stuff. We're going on a tour. We went to Kentucky interviewed some people, went down to Tennessee, interviewed somebody, went down to Alabama, interviewed the subject, came all the way back up to South Bend, Indiana, got a hold of uh, a person up in Minneapolis. And the next day we were in the car 10 hours going up there. Uh, we were up 40 hours in a row doing all that stuff. But you know what? It, you sleep long enough when you're dead. How'd it, but we got resolution because we pushed and we we did what we were supposed to. And when I say we – uh, look, I, this isn't a Tim Corbett show. This is all the people that were involved in it, from the first initial officer that got there and took the report to the technicians, to the prosecutors, to the paralegals, to all the cops that were involved, to this 40-hour ass and drive and talking to people. But it had to be done to be able to go back and tell the family. And the family, you, you can't imagine the appreciation knowing that the person or the people that did this to their mother, to their wife, to their sister now know that there's an ending. I don't, you know, I don't go with that term. We now have resolution. You don't have resolution. You have an ending and an answer. That's what you have.
1: Why did they kill? Why did the three of these guys kill that girl?
0: Well, I personally think, and I I can't prove this, um, obviously, well, not obviously her body was so badly decomposed. We couldn't, Uh, really safe for sure and now you're going back several years, you know 42 years, DNA and all that you know, it wasn't around or it was around but people didn't know what it it was Um, I think it was uh, I think it was a sexual attack and you know she knew all three guys so if you let her go and she tells, you're going to prison so you know, obviously the proper response is for our felony that we just committed, or I believe they committed you know, we just better kill her and then we'll just go on about our life. So, um, yeah, all three of those pukes are all dead. And when I said earlier, good, I hope they suffered. I really do. And I know you're not supposed to feel like that, but I do. And I'm not going to cover it up. I don't feel sorry for them. Yeah. Welcome to hell. I hope they got gasoline overcoats on and they're in the front row. <laughs>
1: I do too. It sounds like they got, uh, sounds like they did suffer. But geez, Louise, I can't imagine. Uh, I guess that's, I'm not, obviously not a, uh, a, a demon criminal. I can't imagine um, doing any of those, and then like covering it up with by ending the person's life. It's 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 unconscionable to normal people.
0: Well, it's not about them. It's about me. It's the world revolves around my belly button. I'm a I'm a narcissist. Yeah. I'm a person that uh, I'm going to have what I want when I want it, how I want it. And you're either going to cooperate, or you're going to be a victim. And if you're a victim, then there's consequences for that because you're alive and you can tell on me. And what I did is just, you know, part of life. That's how they, that's their thought process. They don't care. They don't care.
1: Yeah. Like you said, narcissistic, self-centered type of, type of behavior. Um, That's really gross. So for, for cold cases, are they, I mean, I have to imagine they're typically murders. Are murders the only thing that fit in the category for a cold case that you've done? I mean,
0: well, there's cold case robberies or cold case kidnappings and sexual abuse and all that. But our, our concentration is homicide. We're a cold case homicide unit. So we had got access to Mishawaka's cold cases, which they don't have that many. Uh, but, you know, even if you have a half a dozen, that, you know, that could take 10 years. Oh, you yeah. Know, just de- Sometimes things fall in place and other times it doesn't.
1: How do you parse it out with, um, with, with working for this PD, do you have regular hours you keep or do you kind of just arrange with the guys you're working with? Hey, let's, let's work at this day and you meet up a couple times a week, something like that.
0: Whatever hours we want to work, whatever's going to be advantageous to us. If we have to talk to you at 10 o'clock at night, then we go talk to you at 10 o'clock at night or four o'clock in the morning or wherever we just go and do what is necessary.
1: Okay. What's the number one, um, what's the number one like factor that, that dead ends a case and turns it cold. Like what, that you've seen?
0: Well, I, it, call, I hate the term cold case. I hate, I hate that term. It's unsolved. So when you say cold to a family, they're thinking nothing else can be done. And now I got to crawl in a hole and pull it in behind me. When you say it's just not solved yet, there's answers out there. Uh, number one determination. Um, well, would be, uh, I would think where you quit. That's, that's how it ends. You quit. There's nothing else I can do. I can't follow this up. I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to go on to something else. There's always something. There's always something. You got a jail in your city, right? There's people in there. That's that's your biggest. That's your biggest place that you can get information. They have it. They just don't know. They want to give it up yet. Right. So you talk to people. You go on and you go and talk to, you know, just like this 42 year old one. This girl had been talked to probably half a dozen times. We went to her, and she had on her door all these God loves you, God understands, you know, it was all religious stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's her Achilles tendon, right? That's what she wants. That's what she understands. So we went and talked to her, and she knew my name. She knew who I was because, uh, you know, you've been a cop that long, people are going to know you. And like I said, you either like me or you don't, but you know who I am. Um. And we were talking to her, and you could just tell by, you know, the way she was looking away and doing some things. And I said, her name was Shelly, too. And I said, Shelly, I see all the religious stuff on your door. Are you religious? And she said, yeah. And I said, Shelly, there's, there's two people that know this whole story. And her eyes got real big, like, oh, shit, he knows that I know. And I said, and I said Shelly, again, there's, there's two people that know. And she goes, Who? And I said, God's one of them because he's in your head and he's in your heart and he knows what you're thinking. He knows. He knows.
1: That's the truth. But here's
0: the thing. He's the sky boss. He's up there. He's on the bench right now. He sent me and him, my partner, to come talk to you. And the other person is you. You know what's going to happen, Shelly? You haven't talked about this or really thought about it in 42 years, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to be thinking about this because you can't get it out of your head. You can't wash that away. It's not like you lost a football and you don't remember where it is. This is this is a death. And that little girl deserves to sleep, and she deserves to sleep peacefully. You got the answers. I know you're going to think about it, and it's going to come to you. It will. I just know it will. And I, and I trust that God's in your head, and he's in your heart, and you're going to remember true story. I'm sitting in the office right over here at where I'm at doing this podcast. My phone rings and I looked at it and I recognized the number and I told the people, I went, Shh, "Don't, don't say anything. I put it on speaker because I wanted them to hear. And she goes, Mr. Corbett, Mr. Corbett. And I go, nope, this is Tim. Mr. Corbett died in 76. Tim. <laughs> right. She goes, I didn't lie to you. I swear I never lied to you. I, I didn't, I just didn't tell you everything. I said, I, I told you it would come to you, Shelly. I'm not pissed. I'm not mad. What happened? And she goes, I know what happened. They told me what they did. I go, who are they? And, you know, she said the guy's names. I said, Shelly, you know what? I'm on this stupid phone, and I'm in an area that I can't pick pick up very well. Would it be okay with you if I came over with, with my partner and we talked? And, you know, the people and I'm sitting with, they're going like, are you kidding me? So, um I called my partner I go, you ain't going to believe this. I just got a call from Shelly. She wants to tell us the story. I jumped up out of that chair like I got shot in the ass. We went down, picked up a recorder, went, and Shelly gave us the complete story about exactly what happened. But it was a matter of saying the right things and knowing what what her Achilles tendon was and uh, quite honestly exploiting that. But when I hit her with that, you know, two people know God and and you – it, man, it just it it was a home run. It touched her and it worked, and we got the information. And you know, God rest her soul. But a month and a half later, she was dead from cancer.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, I'm a Christian, and I can tell you it may have been a a, a way to get in, but what you said to her was true. You know, in my oh, mind. Oh, absolutely, so absolutely. That, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm definitely sure her conscience was tortured by by your words because it was the absolute truth. That's, good. Yep. that's, well, I'm,
0: look, I'm not an over, I'm not a real religious guy, overly religious guy. believing in a heaven, a hell, a devil and a God and evil and all that. I, I, I get all that, but, um, and, and agree with it. But I also know that there's another side to me. I can be your best friend or I can be your biggest nightmare. And when I'm, I, us, we, all of us are working these cases. Um, I, I I've heard people say, well, oh, you can't take it personally. You know, you can't bull. You got to take it personally. Excuse
1: me.
0: <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. You have, to, you have to take it personally. You have to want to find out because if you don't, you're going to go, okay, it's four o'clock. I'm going home. I'm just going to forget about it. Don't care. Two weeks have passed. Well, we don't have an answer. I don't care. You, it has to piss you off. And that's when I look at cases, I start reading them and I can feel veins popping. And I know again, you know, you shouldn't do that and all that. But, you killed a baby, you killed a woman, you killed somebody, you're out here partying, drinking, having sex, going to movies, eating, having a great time, and this person's in a boxer in an urn someplace, and I'm gonna worry about we're you know, we're overworked and we're overwhelmed and people don't like us and everybody's a systemic racist and you know, BLM doesn't like this. Chief's I, you complaining know, about overtime. Moved. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't I'm five times removed, don't care about any of that. <laughs> don't care. I, pick, Good
1: I picked that up from you, Tim. <laughs> absolutely. Well, you, go ahead. You know,
0: I, I, like I said, I'm in my 48th year. I, I flat don't care what what they think. You know, the the bad guys are. You can say all that stuff, but uh, I don't see any of them coming down and signing up. That, why? Because they're candy asses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Tim, can I get a hot take from you on a on a topical uh, crime, um, the Moscow murders. When, when that first came out, what did you think? What were you thinking?
0: I told my wife, I said, that's somebody that has killed before, in my opinion. Um, you don't go from zero to four murders, especially with a knife up close and personal. A uh, guy was extremely sneaky, stealthy. Uh, that's somebody that, uh, and this is what I was telling my wife. Now, some of it came true, some of it didn't. It was just my personal opinion. I um, said, that's a guy that is a complete, complete narcissist. Somebody that uh, is probably pretty cautious. I think personally that the cops did a did a great job. They yeah. kept it quiet. They concealed you it. You know, they had the news media pounding them and pounding them, we want this, we want that. I don't give a fat rat's ass what you I want. I know I saw some, yeah. some media outlets
1: criticizing them. It was like that's how you can't tell everybody what you're doing. You're doing an investigation.
0: Well, that's because- That's because the news media is stupid. They think you're supposed to give everything to them so they can send it out to the readers so the readers can hear all the gory stuff. You don't have a right to that. I'll give you enough to let you know that we're here investigating it. But if you think I'm going to compromise a case for your viewership or your readership, you're an idiot. Uh, I'll shut you down in a heartbeat. I I will not participate in that stuff. Um, I think they had a real good idea, you know, pretty shortly into it. And they they set up what they had to do to get things done. And they'll get I think they'll get an excellent resolution. Uh, Personally, I'd like to see the guy write out a complete confession of what I did and cut his own throat, go straight to hell and have it done. That way we got a jail cell for some other turd.
1: Right. We don't have to pay our tax money taking care of him for the rest of his life.
0: Well, um, there'll be some tree hugger out there that'll say he had a bad life and his cat got ran over when he was seven years old, and that's why he did it. And there'll be some excuses. Um, there always are. And then if they do give him the death penalty, if you get enough people brave enough to go, yeah, dump him, you know, they go to do it three years from now, and there'll be idiots standing out there with candles, and he deserves another chance and, you know, a bunch of whiners.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's funny the um, – it's not funny, but uh, – I was listening to a podcast, I forget which one it was, and um, they were saying that the uh, classmates he interviewed for this kid uh, the day after when he was back at school, they, they'd never seen him happier. He was like in a great mood, a little bit more outgoing than normal. Like, like you use that word narcissist, and I think, I think people overuse that, but in this case, I think that's what you have to be to be a murderer. I mean, to be, it has to be, you, you have to have no empathy for anybody else but yourself. And it seems like he was uh, infatuated with murder in the, in the, in the effects it has. And what, what would it be like to do that? Mm -hmm. And that's what, and then he satisfied his itch and he would, he couldn't have been happier.
0: Well, it's, it's satisfaction job. Well done. I killed four and got out. Look at me. You know, I've got this dirty little secret and you know, I'm a freaking hero in my own mind. We had a 17 year old kid that did that to a 90 Was she 94 or 96? And the only thing this lady wanted to do was reach 100 so she could get a certificate from the president. You know, congratulations for making 100 years old. She still swept her stuff. She, you know, she still worked outside. But this 17-year-old kid, he was was from uh, Africa, he wanted to find out what it felt like to kill somebody. So instead of coming after me, somebody's got a gun and a knife and, you know, somebody that will fight back. You know you're a tough guy you went and got a 96 year old lady broke into her house, hit her so hard knocked her knocked her false teeth out and oh. stabbed her with a pair of scissors because he's a hero and then it's what his family do instead of doing the right thing that's your kid you know you, you know I guess you still love him but they uh, they hit him out and sent him back to Africa and of course he thought it was going to be easy there and we figured being a last he went to a consulate and we had him arrested and had to go through another country who had an extradition treaty with that country we had to send US marshals down there to get him oh my so gosh. yeah it's, it's it's fun you know it's fun that's what we do we kill each other
1: man that is twisted was he from uh, um do you know where he was from in africa was he from uh, a popular area city or
0: uh, sri lanka i think is where it was at Wow, Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone!
1: Wow, seventeen years old—that's so young to do that. But also makes sense if you're going to do think it.
0: Think about that—you know, seventeen years old. You're thinking about going to prom and you know, telling your girlfriend we can go park or do whatever. You know, not. Geez, I think I need to kill somebody. That'd be a great Friday night.
1: That's nuts. We had um agency I worked for on Cape Cod, had a a guy that was um, molesting kids. And he got caught, convicted, and then ex- then eventually sent back to his home country. I think it was Jamaica. And um, we got word pretty quickly that he was killed. Because because the, the families down there knew what he had done. And it was almost as soon as he got off the plane, he was hacked up by a machete.
0: What it, a tragedy. Sounds like a bad shaving accident to me.
1: Yeah, they were waiting for him. Like, yeah, we're not integrating you back into our community. We heard what you did in the States. You don't care that you did your time there. You're not going to walk around with our kids, you know?
0: Well, but here you get these idiots that go, you're a map. You're a minor attracted oh. person. You're not a child molester. You're not a pedophile. You're a map. It's just another form of love. You know, all that, all that stupid stuff to justify doing what they're doing. I, I don't even know where these people come from that come up with that and and promote it and say it and, you know, look you right in the eye and, and, and just and Push it because you know you're supposed to accept it. You're supposed to, you know, because you don't want to be not in the woke movement or have an opinion different than mine because you'd be a xenophobe or whatever phobe.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really been. If you look at the last decade, this the kind of the, um, you know, you hate to say it because it's so cliche, but the, the slippery slope, like the just the soft pushing of these things, and the, and and then that now here we are, unbelievably listening to like college professors at at very prestigious universities coming up with this map stuff. And you're like, it's almost like a SNL skit. Is this a joke? Or is this, well, a- you got to
0: wonder if you're pushing it, are you one of them? Why are you pushing it?
1: Right. Yeah. And they'll be like, well, you know, in, in ancient Greece, you know, uh, man, boy, love, uh, blah, 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 you know, all these societies that eventually crumbled and, and destroyed themselves because of their disgusting, um, Uh, perversions, you know, they had vomitoriums for eating too much and they were molesting boys. Like those are, those are symptoms of a, of a very sick society. And I,
0: well, that's when you turn around and go, you're talking about Egypt, you know, uh, thousands and thousands. You see a pyramid behind me, stupid. You're in the United States of America, you molest a kid and there's going to be a penalty for it. So I don't care what they did back then. If you're an adult and you have another adult that is willing I don't care what you do behind your bedroom door. I don't have to accept it. I don't have to like it. Just because you don't, you or whoever, me, doesn't want to have sex with a man doesn't make you a homophobe. It just means you don't want to have sex with a man and you like women. So don't call me a name. Put a nomenclature on me because my opinion differs from yours. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's happening with this, it's being pushed on so many people that they're afraid to stand up for themselves and say, you know what, you don't know anything about me. You call me that again, I'm, I'm going to knock you right in your teeth. You know, you're, you're not going to do that. You're not going to knock me down and make me scared because, you know, you're part of the movement and uh, you, you just, you got to stand up and fight. That's all there is to it. If you keep letting these idiots do it, they're going to get stronger and stronger. And you can see where it's happened over the last two years. You know, you got the idiot in the White House and, uh, you know, what he he say yeah, here a couple of months ago? Two words made in America. Uh, I think matter math there, stupid tells you that's three words, (laughs) maybe two words. Okay. Doing a great job, Joe.
1: (laughs) So true with, um, yeah, with all this stuff, it's, I heard somebody say, I wish I could remember, give people credit, but someone said, you know, it's tolerance and acceptance. And then they go right into participation. Like, okay. Like you're saying, like, listen, I can't control you. This is America. You have rights, you have freedoms. Do you, there's nothing I can do for that. There's nothing, I, I'm not going to try to control what you do. If you want to go down those paths, go ahead. But the participation part now, where they're like, oh no, not only are, are you going to tolerate this and accept it, you're going to, uh, you're going to bring your kids to that um, uh, drag queen story hour at the elementary school. You're going to participate in it. Because if you don't, well, then you're the problem. That's that's the part that is broken off now. The We have to participate in these things. Otherwise, we're bigots.
0: You know what? The only thing I have to do is die. Everything else is negotiable. (laughs) And if I'm a bigot or a racist or a homophobe or a xenophobe or whatever freaking phobe there is out there that I'm not aware of, good. Don't care. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. I'm going to fight that all the way. I'm not going to accept my grandchildren seeing some dude. Uh, you know, running around in a string bikini with hair on his back, and that's supposed to be acceptable. You want to do that with adults? Have at it. Don't care. But um, I'm not going to be taking my grandson into the men's bathroom. Some dude walks in with four inch heels and a skirt and drops his joint out and pees in front of my grandkid. Ain't happening. Not. I'm not. I'm not accepting that. And if people want to call that whatever, I don't care.
1: Absolutely. Hundred percent. Things Police See podcast is sponsored by Avid Company. Avid has a brand new take on firearm holsters. The ClipLock modular holster system is one of a kind. It consists of a base that goes on your belt and a holster that can be easily clipped in or unclipped from the base. You can change out holsters easily if you want to switch to a different caliber or gun size. The holster can be carried in a variety of positions including hip, appendix, small back, and ankle carry. ClipLock can be inside the waistband or outside the waistband, left or right-handed. The optional lockbox allows you to unclip your holster and secure it in your car, gun safe, or any other place you'd want to mount it for quick and easy access. Go to avidcompany.com, that's A-V-I-D, company.com, and check it out. Don't forget, Avid donates a portion of all profits to supporting service members, veterans, and law enforcement. I'm really excited to have Avid Company on board as our sponsor. Supporting them supports this podcast. And there's a promo code to get you twenty dollars off your order. That's TPS twenty for twenty dollars off your first order. Tim, is there um? Have you worked any cold cases or, or just notable cases where you were um? You knew the people or were they were kind of kind of close to home for you? Anything like that?
0: Yeah, I, you know, I've always I, I've been asked several times, you know, in interviews, um, you know, TV and all that. What what is your most important case? well, how do I say it's this case because I've just spit on your family. I've spit on every other right. family because this this case, they're all important, and you have to you have to work them just as hard. If you were a billionaire or you were eating cat food in a dumpster because you're the biggest bum in the world, that's still you that got killed or one of your family members. You have to do it the same way. Once you start differentiating between – Well, this person's got money and some clout and, you know, I could probably do this or this person doesn't have squat and I'm not going to do that. Then you're part of the problem. You you know, you're making decisions based on on uh, the wrong things. Look, let's face it. Anybody that's listening to this podcast right now, everybody profiles, everybody, every day profiles. When you see somebody pull up in a Jaguar and they got a big Rolex watch and a two thousand dollars suit, you're profiling them. They got money. They have power. They have. Everybody every day looks at somebody and profiles them. Now, how you treat them after you do that, that's where the prejudice comes in. If you just go, hey man, that dude's got a lot of money, good for him. You treat him the same. There's a dude doesn't have anything. You treat him the same. But that word profiling is so over overused. Women do it. They call it women's intuition. Men do it sixth sense. Women call it sixth sense. So how whatever you want to, wanna to put on it, everybody does it every day. We have to do it. Police Right now, we have to recognize is there are bulges on the hip. There's a bulge in the front in the appendix carry position. Does the guy have a knife? It's on the right-hand side. Good chance he's probably right-handed. Why is he taking a bladed stance? Why is he trying to turn me to where my eyes are in the sun? Why is he trying to get me to move over here? Because there's a hill there, and there's a fence and broken glass. Because if he tackles me, I'm going to get tore up. Why is he doing these things? Why is he looking low left? He's looking for a place to run. What is he doing behind? You know, you have to analyze that stuff right now or we get to die. You get to sit in your chair and analyze my motions, and you wouldn't have done it that way. You wouldn't have done it that way because you're a candy ass and you wouldn't be out here to begin with. Come on down an alley with us in the middle of the night by yourself when somebody says, I heard shots behind there, and all you got is a flashlight and a gun in your senses, and you know you want to go home at the end of the night, but you got a badge and a gun, and you got to protect, and you know you could be dead. So don't come in here and critique my job, and you think you're going to sit on some citizen's review board and go, I wouldn't have done that. You're right, you wouldn't have done that, because, again, you're a candy ass.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, they have that. Um, I've interviewed New York City guys before, and um, they famously forever have had the um, – their disciplinary hearings are are brought mostly by the citizen complaint board and you're like almost always guilty and they hand out real they hand out real discipline. So it's like you have to go down there with your tail between your legs and just pray that they don't recommend you're terminated.
0: You ever go to the doctor? Sometimes. Yeah, you ever had a surgery or some, you know, I think you have the flu and actually you had covid and misdiagnosed. Sure. You get to get a bunch of your buddies and go in. I want to. I want a tribunal right now with this doctor. I, I, these guys right here, they, don't, they can't even spell doctor. They don't even know what DR is. But they're going to sit here and judge on what kind of surgery that doctor did. We think it's crummy. We think the guy should lose his license. We think, we think, we think. But you don't know your butt from an apple. But you have an opinion, so you're going to go in there and voice that. But you don't even know what skill there is there that you don't even know about. But yet they're going to bring in people to placate. Because you're going to get me votes and if I don't kiss your butt and, you know, cut your toenails for you and do all that kind of stuff, I'm not going to get the votes. So I'm going to let you hang this policeman out because it is politically correct.
1: Yeah, that's what they do. Absolutely. I mean, in Massachusetts for a while, they threw around getting rid of qualified immunity. and the police unions, our view is always, okay, well, what about uh, select board members? Town administrator, um, all elected officials. How about judges? How about everybody who makes decisions? Why should they be protected? Why do they have qualified immunity? What if the select board votes to do something, someone gets hurt? They change the speed limit on a, on a road, someone gets hurt. Um, they change the parking area. They they condemn a building or don't condemn a building when they should have, and some kids go in there and get hurt, which has happened. Why can't we sue them? Sue the select board. They don't want to hear any of that. They just want they they want the police officers in Mass. To have to carry private insurance, and have the the general public just be able to go after us. And I always try to explain to people uh, in my circle who aren't aren't who aren't in the police world that it's qualified immunity. It's not just plain immunity. It's qualified by the court. They look at every case and they award immunity. It's not just immunity. Like I I, I really don't understand where they're coming from, or, or they're just they're just suspending. Um, reality, and they're not using any any critical thinking skills because because um, the news told them so, and that's just the way they're going to well, go. You
0: don't have to. You get on Google or whatever, and you type in police abuse or whatever you do to look it up. You are, you're too lazy to do it on your own, so you rely on somebody on. Facebook or whatever to give you the answers. And of course they're experts, you know, when they're probably sitting in their mom's basement and their tidy whities picking <laughs> at child porn on one computer and giving, you know, uh, opinions on everything else. And people right. read that and they go, Well, you know, Bill in New York said this and Larry in Florida agreed, and but they're they're too lazy to realize it. Cops cops don't wanna be put in that position. No, nobody wakes up. And I said it on the last podcast, nobody wakes up in the morning saying it's a bright, shiny day. I got, I hope I get to kill somebody. Right. I got, I can't wait to do this. So I can have everybody uh, everybody's opinion harassing my family, you know, all the, all the things that happen with it. Plus what you go through mentally, if you're not strong enough, and there's been a lot of cops that have eaten their gun over something like that Oh yeah, um, because they can't handle it. Nobody wants to go through that, but you know, yet you get these people quoting things and these actors and actresses. Well, I heard this, and there's been this many killings, and all. they have no idea what goes on. None.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They really don't. And it's, uh, they form these opinions, like you said, out of, uh, with, with little and no research. If you, if you quote any kind of crime stat from the FBI, by the way, you're, you know, you're a racist bigot and so on and so forth. It's, I'm done with that. Like, I don't, um, I don't really bring it up on my social media anymore because it's like, it's just a, a field day of me and it, and it, I try to, I, I try I Would like, I would like to think it doesn't bother me, but you will get people you've known for a very long time come at you super hard, almost like they've never met you. Like they don't know you, they don't know you're a good person and they will go right for the jugular. They will um, nonchalantly mention, well, you know, maybe you should be removed from your job. It's like. You're putting that stuff out there on on social media. Maybe I should lose my job. It, it's it's totally insane. I mean, I've my wife and I have sat down and just un, unfriended hundreds of people because of because of attacks like that. It's unreal. It's unbelievable.
0: Well, that's because they're stupid and cowards. You know what do they do for a living?
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. I, I say that all the time when people are like. Oh yeah, it must be nice like we we work road jobs for overtime and all. That's blood money, you know. It's cuz they don't pay us enough, we got to work all overtime, you know. That's just the way it is. And uh, I always say it's an equal opportunity employer. If if you think you want to do this, you want to work 16 hours a day, then throw an application in. Come and do the job. Well, oh, you like weekend you like weekends off, you like working 9 to 5, right?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. How about Christmas? Christmas Eve. I'll bet you, I'll bet you my first 20 years I worked uh, probably 16, 16 years of Christmas Eve's or Christmas Day's or both. Oh, you yeah. Know, while you're still home carving to Turkey talking about, uh, you know, how horrible things are, uh, then come on out. Come on out. Take the physical fitness test with your little buggy whip arms. You know, let's <laughs> see, see you do, you know, 50 push-ups.
1: Yeah. I, I got a, I got a taste of it, Tim. I worked as an insurance uh, fraud yeah. investigator for two years, holidays off, weekends off, pretty much – because you're inv- doing investigations, there was nighttime work, but mostly not. I mean, it was, I was like, people the people people be living like this? <laughs> this is, oh, yeah. it's like I'm not you're even not working.
0: You're not getting shot at. You're not right. getting stabbed. You're not getting people throwing caustic liquids on you or spitting at you or whatever. You're going out because somebody's bumper got knocked off or they're faking like their back hurts when it really doesn't. So, right. you know, in the end it's all about money when and those kinds of things but
1: low stakes you know I, I like I, when I worked um in the office as a background investigator for laPD for the city um it's all cops down there either sworn guys or retired or injured guys um and uh there's just no bad days like it's just not there's like no pre- like someone gives you a deadline it's absolutely not even any pressure at all but if you work with someone like different staff members who have never Worked in the police world, things are incredibly stressful to them. Uh, Things are a huge deal. Office dramas. All the cops are like, This is great. This is so easy.
0: Everything's DEF CON 3. Starbucks will shut down. I don't know how I'm going to (laughs) react. It's okay, Pumpkin. Get your fist out of your eye and your thumb out of your mouth. It'll be okay, (laughs) my little snowflake.
1: (laughs) Tim, can you talk about some of the challenges of um, Say so you're not doing the, the cop job that you have doing uh, homicide investigations, but um, when you're hired privately, do you have uh, – is it difficult to kind of parse, like, okay, I'm I'm not acting in a law enforcement capacity right now. I'm working as a PI. Is that difficult to do?
0: No, no, no not at all. As a matter of fact, uh, you have more uh, – you have a little bit more um, flexibility as a PI because now I don't have to give you Miranda – Right. Uh, You know, there's a whole lot of things I don't have to do, you know, but I still think like a cop, uh, you know, and I make sure that uh, I let the police know I'm not not acting as an agent for the state. I'm not going in as a PI strictly to get you information and feed to you uh, because I think that can cause some issues. But I'm there because the case isn't getting done. They hired me because they trust me to do it. Um, We just did. Well, I just did a policeman's kid um, an adult that molested a little seven-year-old girl Mm. and we rung him up for 30 years and while he was in jail he tried to hire one of my informants to find somebody on the outside to kill his father-in-law one murder for hire and then tried to hire my informant to kill his best friend another murder for hire uh, put together such a good case on him, he pled guilty to both murder-for-hire cases, they gave him 30 years on the molesting, 20 and 20 concurrent oh, on the murder-for-hires, but consecutive with the molesting. So he's got 50 years to find somebody uh, to spoon with, and you know they can make a playground out of each other's butts or whatever they want to do. I don't care.
1: <laughs> oh, man, what a dummy. Plus, all those all those prison lines are recorded, too. I, it's like the prisoners forget that. They get on the phone and see all kinds of dumb stuff.
0: Well, it's used to being stupid if you can't act like it.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. So for you, it's really not. It, what, is the, um, what is the criteria for where you are for getting your PI license? I know in my state, I think they require that you were like a cop for 10 years and some other stuff. That I think they do a background. But uh, is it similar where you are for like getting your PI license?
0: You know what? I've had mine since in the, in the like uh, mid to late 80s. And it was different then. I think you had to have a thousand hours under your PI license. So I work for you, and I can go back and document I work for him for a thousand hours. I like to get my own PI license to get to get a license as far as working for me. You know, I'd really have to look that up because I don't have anybody working for me. I do it all. Uh, but I, I at one time it was you could just I could just give you a license that you're working under mine. You can't get a regular PI license for yourself having a company, but you could have a PI license to go out and do PI work. I think now it's 3000 hours or police experience or a criminal justice degree.
1: Okay. So they kind of accept multiple different paths there.
0: Yeah. If you have a criminal justice degree, because you've had several hours to get that degree, you would be qualified to get a PI license. You know, you're the owner of the company. If I, a, a cop, you could come here and if you had all your time, you, you can get a license with no problems. Okay. You know, of course you have a background, you have to have insurance, you have to have a bond, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I kind of like the apprentice style. Um, for some reason, Massachusetts is getting away from that with, uh, with their professions, like here to be a barber. Like I talked to my barber the other day and, um, it used to be, you had to apprentice under a master barber and then kind of like an old school, like almost like a, from England, like, a a master would have to train you and then you could apply to be master yourself and have your own, have your own thing. Totally did away with it. Now you can get out of barber school and just open up a shop, just, just cutting mannequins, cutting a few friends hair. And then bam, you got your, your shop, you Yeah, know? I guess they, you know, the, the strongest will survive in that case, I guess.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, as thin as my hair is, they spend more time cutting the stuff out of my ears and in between here <laughs> You get hair growing in places you didn't, you know, it's not supposed to be, but I guess that's what happens when you get older. Isn't that am here to brag about it?
1: Isn't that true? Like the uh we used to have the substitute teacher Mr. Hall. I'll name him. He's probably passed away by now, but he we used to stick grass in our ears and our nose to make fun of him, you know, cuz cuz he had hair. He was only like probably 50. But now um I have a little trimmer for my beard and it came with this attachment for nose and ear. Oh, I have to I have to use it. I'm like, I have hair coming out of my ears. I'm, I'm Mr. Hall now. It's not fair. So Tim, um, is there any more, uh, can I coax any, any more notable cold cases out of you? Uh, anything kind of, uh, that, that pops to your mind or you think is, uh, would be interesting.
0: Well, I tell you what. There's, there's one thing I do. Uh, you know, before I talk about that, I wanna, I wanna kind of qualify. For the cops that are out there, I can't tell you enough. I can't tell you hard enough, often enough. Develop informants. Develop informants. They will. They are your lifeblood. I've made a living off of informants. Yep. Um, you. There's so much information out there. All you got to do is ask. When they get busted for something, sit on and interview them. Talk to them. Treat people fair. If you tell them you're going to do something, do it. If you can't do it, tell them you can't do it. Be straight up. Be no BS. Let them know you screw me once, I'll screw you twice. You lie about anything, I'm going to break it off, and you're not going to want to play that game. You get a reputation out on the street as being a fair guy. Now, having said that, uh, recently I got a call from an informant that I told you about. Gave me the the child molester and, and, uh, and the two murder for hires and he called me and he has just recently given me information about a murder case of a six month old baby that happened back in 2007. Um, I've been able to get statements. Uh, I believe that I have enough. There's a charge in Indiana called neglect of a dependent resulting in death, uh, which basically is you're the parent, you're the boyfriend, you're the girlfriend, whatever. You did nothing to protect that baby from the abuse that I've inflicted on that child and you can be charged. So that's been uh, my focus. That's what I've been working on. Um,
1: Still paying dividends. This informant, he's hung with you all this time.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, this guy was recruited for me by another informant because this guy had the information and, uh, and a guy told him, he said, Hey man, I know somebody you can talk to, but, uh, just stay on course. Don't get out of don't get out of bounds because you know he will snap it off on you.
1: Do informants make money where you're at? You guys pay them ever?
0: Yeah, you can you can, but you know, let's be honest about it. You got a ticket for something, and you come forward and go, "Hey man, I can give you a murder." Do you think I'm going to trade a ticket for a murder or a child molester? a freaking lutely So all you do is ask the cop that wrote the ticket. Hey, was this guy decent? Was he an idiot or whatever? Uh, he's got information on a murder or or molesting or a robbery or whatever. You know, w- would you be cool with, you know, not following through with that? And it's very rare that a cop's going to go, nope, nope, his tail lights were out. We're, we're going after this fool. Why? Why? You know, so yeah, there's anybody tells you that they don't deal with these guys. uh, You're ma- number one, either you're a liar or you're making huge mistakes.
1: Yeah. Cause I had a, um, I had a, a candidate for LAPD come in once and um first interview I, I gave her, she slid this packet across the table and it was um, all about her dad. And he just laid this on her right before she came in. He said, I just want, I just, you need to know about this because I know LAPD does a full, like a in-depth background, and I've been up to this, and um, it was receipts from from LAPD to Santa Monica to San Bernardino to um, uh, Irvine. I I forget all the towns and cities, but there there were payments, and they were large payments. Um, He was informant for like twenty-five years, and he had uh, he even listed his handlers, which. You know, I thought they would never, he would never do, but like there were DEA guys, there was, um, drug task force guys, there was all kinds of guys. And, um, he had come over during, um, the Cuban, the great Cuban dump into America, him and a Mm -hmm. buddy went to Southern California and got, uh, popped and he started working right away in the Cuban community and had done so for years. And yeah, I mean some of these payments were like 25 G's. I mean, they were paying this guy
0: 25 G's,
1: 25,000, 10,000, 15,000 here, 8,000 there. He's working. Are you kidding me? And it, I mean, it was all for drugs, like big. So these guys are seizing tons of drugs and huge amounts of cash. And they were paying him because he was providing it. And, you know, he still lived in a bad, bad part of the city and ran a business. And I was like, I told her, I'm like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe he's, no offense, still alive. Like he's been doing this for that long um, and concealed it like that. And uh, yeah, she was, uh, it it became a major part of her background to figure out if this guy, because she was living with him, you know, was he still in in the the underworld or was he legit uh, with everything? So uh, that's why I asked you, because I I, I saw these receipts and I brought them right away to a senior background investigator. And I was like, this is a lot of money. This guy's making a living, like snitching on people. It was incredible, but yeah, huge money, Tim.
0: Well, it's that it's that same old saying. You don't you, know, you don't go to hell to find angels, right? I mean, you gotta get in the you gotta get in the mud with them. But uh, you gotta there's a line. You you don't cross that line. And you know, when I would pay people, I would make sure somebody was there. You know, I may count out. I'm gonna make it up two hundred fifty bucks or whatever. I would count it out. I'd bring one of my guys in. Count that. I'd count it after he counted. I'd go do it again. So I made sure it was $250. Sure. Now, my somebody's going to meet me out in the back here. I want you to watch. So I made sure that people seeing that money go to that person. Nobody was ever going to say, hey, pocketed that or whatever. And uh, talking to female informants, you know, they may want to meet in a parking lot. They could be, you know, they could be hookers or dopers or whatever. They're always going to be looking for a scam to get over on you. And there's always that one dumb cop that's, you know, going to yeah. try and get try and get late or whatever, and they're going to get burned. I would have guys sit with binoculars and watch, and I'd be in a lit parking lot. They didn't get in my car. They didn't do anything. You stay outside my car. You tell me what you need to tell me, and if I have to pay. But I always had somebody watching me because it was never going to come back. You know, I was in your office, and the door was closed, and this is – no, they – Ain't happening. So you you have to be smart, but that's where you make your living, and it does pay off. Um, cold cases are a different animal. With, with fresh cases, you've always got information. or usually have information coming in, and you're working them. I don't go with that, you know, if you don't have an answer in 48 hours. I was going to ask you, is that a real thing? I think that's BS. That's something that somebody said once. Um, you know, it's like you're a person of interest you're not a person of interest what the hell is that that's some hollywood stuff you're a suspect or you're not you're not i'm you're not i'm not interested in you unless you're a part of this so you you just have to you just got to want to find the answers and usually or all the time when you're doing cold cases you're starting from the very beginning because i know you did a great job with your report but now 10 or 15 or 20 years has passed how were you 20 years ago? You're a completely different animal now, right? You've had a, you're married, you got kids. Maybe you got divorced. Maybe a whole lot of things have happened. Life has happened, and you've changed. You've changed, and you may have thought that case was was closed. Um, I'll give you one A guy named Wayne Koops. Killed three people in his family. Killed his wife, killed her child, and killed that child's father. Ugh. Uh, Wayne Koops, that's the last time I'm going to say his name. Um, but he got involved in, um, you know, buying houses with no money down, you know, all the stuff that was oh, on yeah. TV years ago. But they forgot to tell you that eventually you're going to have a mortgage and the person that doesn't pay your right. rent, you're going to be
1: use other people's deals. money.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he was upside down about a half a million dollars because he was a genius. Takes on insurance policy on his on his wife. Well, he was known for kicking her butt all the time, and she'd come into work with a black eye or a split lip. I ran into the door, I tripped and fell. Sure. Everybody knew what was going on, but she would never say it.
1: Right.
0: Well, it was her birthday, and her, little, her son, I think he was, I don't know, 10 or 12 years old, he's being brought over to her house in this puke's house for birthday. He had a card, you know, love mommy and all that kind of stuff. He goes into the house. This puke had taken this lady down, duct taped her, her entire head so she can't breathe, right? Ugh. Took her her arms and her legs and bent them up, duct taped that. So now her chest is compressed, so her lungs are compressed. Yeah. She can't breathe, so she's smothering. But being the good human being that he is so she wouldn't suffer, he took a butcher knife, stabbed her through the back so hard, then went through her back, her chest plate, and there were strike marks on the cement. Oh Shoved her body underneath the, the stairs. You know where stairs are going on. You got that little dead space right okay. there. Hold the curtain. Little boy comes home while he's in the process of killing her or having already killed her. He's trapped in the basement. Little boy goes down. You could see it. You know, in your mind, he went in the front door, and he's looking for his mom, and he put the card on the on the table, and he went down into the basement. Well, Puke is caught down there. He's got to kill him, right? He's caught. Ugh. That's what you got to do. The little boy, you could see he, where he tried running up the steps. The guy grabbed him, stabbed him in the back with a butcher knife about that long killed the little boy, pulled him down to the bottom of the steps, and the steps went down, and there was a landing at the bottom. Then they turned, and there was a wall right there. Well, the boy's father came in, and this was right around Halloween time. The boy's father came in, and he sees his son at the bottom of the steps. Well, you know, you think the kid fell down the steps. He went down the steps, and he must have heard something, felt something, but he, like, peeked around the corner and... The guy had a gun and he shot, and it just nicked him, but it was enough to knock him back. And he took that butcher knife and buried it in his chest, and left. So you know, police get there, homicide unit gets there, found the two bodies very quickly. And of course, you're doing the whole scene when the guys pulled the curtains back. And there's there's Beth, so the mother of the female Beth. She absolutely did not believe that he did this. Absolutely did not. We were convinced. He came down to homicide and we're standing outside, he and I and the mother. He's got these sunglasses on and I'm standing there talking to him and he was shaking so bad. There's traffic going by. You can hear his pants fluttering. They were fluttering. And I I got, you know, real close to his face and I go, I want to let you know, we're going to find a dirty coward son of a bitch that did this we're going to get him the death penalty. And he goes, well, you know, you couldn't hardly talk. Well, we put the case together and um, he, he got the death penalty, but you're in Indiana. And of course, you know, it's 20 years down the line. Hell, I got more of a chance of dying before they give him the death penalty.
1: Yeah.
0: He came back on an appeal and he made a deal with, with uh, the prosecutors, you pull the death penalty off. And I'll tell you the whole story. Well, he told the story, but, you know, as usual, yeah, I killed her and I killed him, but there was somebody else with me, and I'm not going to give that up because I'm a hardened criminal. I'm a tough guy. I don't know who killed the kid. Yeah. Well, now he's in prison for the rest of his natural life, and, you know, I hope somebody turns his uh, spinster into a playground, throws him off a tear or whatever for what he did, and it was all for money. He had he had taken out a policy for 400 and Eighty or four hundred ninety thousand dollars, so he could pay off his debt instead of going, hey, I screwed up, I'm going bankrupt i'm going to kill I'm going to kill all these people and I'm convinced if there had been a fourth person come in, he'd have had to kill them because he's caught in the basement he'd have stacked up bodies till he was tired
1: Damn, yeah, yeah, what's stopping him? Oh my gosh, that's an incredible and horrible story. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show what if, if someone if there's a family out there or people out there uh, in your area um and they need some investigation they need some help they want they want to make sure everything's being done that can be done how do they get a hold of you
0: well first uh it doesn't have to be in my area i don't care where you're at i don't you know if you have questions call me if you have a case that you want me to look at and read that yeah there may be a charge for that cuz i have to do that but to help people out I'll absolutely go anywhere and do it, but they can reach me at 574-229-8115. Now you said earlier I put that number out. I have had text messages, calls from people on how much they appreciated our our podcast and the honesty and. That's great. Um, it's the only way it, you know. That's the only way you can do it. But uh, Tim, you didn't even mention
1: needs, last time you had a, you have a podcast right or you had one?
0: Uh, on under Corb Investigations, it's called Killer Catchers. And it's uh, family members that have gone through this. We bring them on and uh, on many of them and they talk about how they felt and how they truly feel about the police. And, um, you know, it's not like what is portrayed out there about us. Um, we've done several of those.
1: That sounds great. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check out your podcast too.
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate
1: it. Thank you for your time, Tim. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. And you know, down the road. Three times a charm, right? Maybe come on again.
0: Anytime you need me, I'm, you know, I'm willing to do it. And I'm, I'm also going to talk to you about a couple other things when we're off here, but okay, yeah, anytime, anytime you need it, call.
1: You'd be a fun guy to have on, and I've been throwing this around for like a year and haven't done it, but, um, you'd be a fun guy to have on um, with like a couple other people. Just, just, um, me pull some news headlines, law enforcement headlines, cases that are going on and just get a hot take from you. Uh, what you think. So if you're open to that, that might be fun.
0: I absolutely am, but you're probably going to need a nuclear powered bleep machine because I, <laughs> I, I can only do it for so long, but you know, I'm going to drop a bomb. I, I,
1: That's okay. That's okay. okay. Tim Corbett does it. It's okay with me. <laughs> All right, brother. Well,
0: thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Again, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do this job and be on this podcast. And if there's somebody out there, you know, you have a you have a cold case, and you're not getting resolution. You want answers. You have questions. Call me. Just call me, and I'll I'll answer what I can. I'll help with what I can.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Tim. I'm gonna do the outro. If you can hang up for a second in the green room, I'll be right back with you in like a couple minutes. Thanks. The great Tim Corbett, ladies and gentlemen, back by popular demand. Um, really fun interview. Really insightful. Really, really great and crazy stories. Uh, he's out there doing God's work, working working uh, cold cases and, and homicide cases uh, you know essentially for free so it's it's, it's really amazing the guy's got an amazing heart uh, honor to have him on. It's that time in the show where I need to thank the patreon sergeant so I'm talking about George Tessier, William James Long, that's Deputy William James Long to you, Wayne Miller, Tony Fahey, the great Tom Connell, Tammy Walsh, Seth Wright, Sean Clifford, Scott Young, the great Scott Minkler, Sasha McNabb, Nick News, Nathan Gowen, the Motor Cop Chronicles, check them out, great podcast, the great Mike Wynn, Luke Shore, Lane Campbell, Lauren Stimson. John Shoemaker, Jason Lau, James Rose, Jake Pinito, Greg Gabboy, Gary Steiner, Derek Warden, just Dennis, no last name, Corey Payne, the great Chris June, Brandon Hooker, Braden Walker, Ben Peters, Andy Biggs, and Adam Mihal. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, you guys are incredible. I love you. Um, you go above and beyond. Donating to the Patreon, the links in the show notes. If you really love the show, uh, I appreciate that when you support it. You know, it's incredible. I get a lot of really great emails and sometimes I get bad ones. It's incredible to me because I'll get an email criticizing me for something I said or a word I used or something like that. And uh, typically the person has listened to like 40 hours of free content and then like they're they're one, uh, the thing that triggers them to reach out and contact me is to tell me I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I'm doing the wrong thing. So you, you guys and gals that, that donate, uh, I, I really appreciate that. That's really, really cool. Thank you so much. Um, what else can I tell you? Oh yeah. Um, social media. I want to get the things, police see Instagram, uh, better, more followers. If you can do that it's at things, police see, Uh, check that out. And my good friend and confidant, Ken Roybal, has a police applicant podcast, a really great podcast. Go check him out. Give him a a subscribe and a five-star review and all that good stuff. Um, I know there was more I was supposed to say. I always forget something, but hey, it is what it is, guys. Thank you for joining us. And well, still on. I will catch you next time.